This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Thank you so much for being a part of this live stream tonight here at Dominion Church. I'm thankful that you're here. Maybe you're watching on Facebook Live. Do me a favor, go ahead and like and share this now so that more people can be blessed as a result. Maybe you're watching on YouTube at our YouTube channel. It's Dominion Church SC. We're in this great state of South Carolina. Or maybe you're listening on our podcast experience, the Dominion Church podcast experience, wherever podcasts are listened to. Thank you for joining us and being a part of this. We're starting a brand new series tonight, and uh, we have a graphic for it. Judah, uh, I know you're here on the front row, but if you could pull that up for us real quick. We're starting a brand new series, and we're going to take our time with this. Uh, it It will likely take a minimum of 10 sessions. Uh, but again, you don't, you won't get burned out. We'll have some guests during that time. We'll break it up a little bit. Uh, we've, we've got a busy remainder of, of this year of 2021. And so you won't have to just listen to me for 10 weeks straight. I know some of you guys, that's a sigh of relief. It's a breath of fresh air. Uh, and, and Hey, it's a sigh of relief for me too. I, I get a break now and then too. Of course, my break usually is going somewhere else and ministering. So it's, it's technically not a break, but uh, it's always good to keep it fresh at home. Uh, But this new series is called The Gospels, The Gospels, and the subtitle is The Message and Manifestation of Kingdom Culture, The Message and Manifestation of Kingdom Culture. And so we're going to jump right into this. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to take them fast. Godspeed to you on that front. And uh, this session, I'll make this commitment to you. I'll get as far as time will allow. And if it doesn't allow us to finish it, I'm fine breaking this up into two parts. That is perfectly fine. But, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna ride with me though, you gotta make sure to be a part of both parts. Don't just get half of it and then walk away, or in this case, get a 10th of it and then, and then check out, because we've got a lot of ground to cover. And again, like I said, I believe it's gonna be significant to who we are as a ministry, also significant for anyone that's listening and, and, and joining us in this. Okay, so we're just going to jump into this, and in this first session, we're going to talk about the gospel. The gospel. So in the Greek New Testament, the noun euangelion, gospel, that's what the word is in the Greek, it means a reward for good tidings. And it appears just over 70 times. Now, since in one sense, the whole New Testament points us towards the gospel, We might have expected that word to have been used a little more frequently than 70 times. Even more surprisingly, its use varies greatly among the authors of the New Testament. Paul uses the word more than three times as often as all the other authors combined. Paul was obsessed with the gospel. Most of the other uses were found in Matthew and Mark with very few, if any, in Luke, John, Peter, and James. The word gospel simply means good news. 
Now, this word is not unique to the Christian message. Maybe, maybe that's a revelation for some of us, some, some that are tuning in. It's also used in the pagan world to refer to a good announcement. So actually, in the day of the New Testament unfolding, there were lots of gospels being released. One of those gospels was from Rome. And you know what the good news was? Caesar is emperor. And, and there would be disciples, apostles, sent ones who would come to declare the good news, the gospel of Caesar. So there are lots of gospels going on. So now some of you are jumping ahead of me. I, I think it's probably uh, something for us to think about that Jesus would come and begin to release gospel. Good news in the midst of good news. And, you know, now, again, depending on what side of Rome you're on, it, it could be good to some and not so good to others. To, to the Jews of the day of Jesus, the gospel of Rome was not good news. It was the news of oppression. It was the news of conflict. It was the news of being stripped of your rights. Jesus comes and says, well, I have good news as well. Right? Okay, let's, let's keep going here. In the New Testament... It also refers to many facets of good news. Often, it is used with the assumption that the reader knows what the word means. And I will challenge you with this. Back then, they did. What I mean, by, I mean, 2,000 years ago, the, the audience understood, say, when Paul was writing, and they had an intimate relationship with Paul. They were part of one of the churches that he gave apostolic oversight. That in his train of thought, when he would mention good news, they knew what gospel he was talking about. But now here we are 2,000 years removed. And we, when we hear the word gospel, we transpose our understanding of gospel onto that word. Are we tracking right now? Listen. In the day of Jesus, there was no such thing as Western gospel. There was no such thing as American gospel. Are you okay? We're going to break it down. There, there's no such thing as the components that we often use to present the gospel. We teach messages that are so foreign to the early disciples and apostles that it's not funny, and that's part of why we must reclaim and once again teach and minister what is sound. Sound concerning scripture, sound concerning the character and nature of God. And I know that can be problematic because oftentimes it means challenging things that we have believed for most of our lives. And if that's not difficult enough, it also means perhaps challenging the places that those messages came from. Our denominational pedigree. Or maybe you just learned it from your granddad and you love grandpa. We all do. There's no way grandpa could have been wrong. Well, he was probably wrong before. And God bless him now. He, if, he's, if he's not with the Lord, hopefully he's still wanting to learn. If he's with the Lord, he already knows better. Are you okay? None of us have arrived as much as we would like to claim that we have. We're all in a journey from the most learned and experienced of us to the novice. We're all in a journey. As we look more closely at the ways in which the gospel is used in the New Testament, several points come through strongly. 
First, we often find the phrase, the gospel of God. The gospel of God. This phrase stresses the source of the gospel as a gift from God. That's the source. It's a gift from God. The gospel is of divine, not human origin. Second, the character of the gospel is specified in several ways. So I got several little references you can jot down in your notes. You go back and listen. So let's look at some of these uh, characteristics. The gospel is true. That's Galatians 2, 5 and 14, Colossians 1, 5. The gospel is gracious. I like that. When, you're, when, when, you're, when you have an encounter with the gospel, you have an encounter with grace. Acts 20, 24. The gospel is glorious. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, 1 Timothy 1, 11. So look at that. I, I love these attributes. True, gracious, and glorious. And then third, we see two responses to the gospel. Two responses. The primary response is faith. Say faith. faith. That's Acts 15, 7 and Ephesians 1, 13. But obedience is also a response. Hmm. 1 Peter 4, 7. Romans 1, 5. Romans 10, 16. I've got lots of verses. Romans 16, 26. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. So when you have an encounter with the gospel, you have an encounter with something that is true, gracious, and glorious. It's something that has its origin from God. And once you have an encounter, you are left with two primary responses. Number one is you receive it by faith. And number two, the one we all would prefer to run from, you obey. Why wouldn't you? Its origin is from God. It's full of grace. It's full of truth. It, you know, it's, it's glorious. So when you, when you start thinking of the gospel in those terms, I'll just speak for myself. There's a lot of gospel that I have been presented that does not line up with this. Are y'all okay? Oh, brother, I'm going to preach the gospel. And you're not hearing anything that sounds true, glorious. <laughs> you don't hear <laughs> Are you okay? It certainly doesn't sound gracious. It sounds like a gospel of separation, a gospel of, of uh, us against them, uh, a gospel of love the lovable. Are you okay? All right. You guys okay on Facebook, YouTube? For any gospel to become truly manifested in our lives, we must approach it and receive it in faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. So now we're going to shift gears here, and, and I want to pose this as a question. The gospel of salvation? Well, question mark. The gospel of salvation. This is the primary pattern or system that the bulk of the Western church, and sadly because of the Western church's influence, much of the world preaches what I'm about to share with you. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. Are you ready? Okay. The gospel of salvation? Let's look at it. The gospel of salvation 
has been the primary focus and invitation of Western Christianity for a long time. And this is basically how it goes. Uh, so I want to share this personal story with you. And for a lot of you growing up in church, you probably know what I'm talking about. Do you guys know the, the little chick tracks? The, they're little, about the size of a dollar bill. And, and uh, you know, it's got different subject matter. One might be about, you know, witchcraft or there's all kind of, you know, listen to rock music, whatever. And, and you turn it and, and it can be pretty scary. And it's kind of meant to scare you because you need to be afraid of the sin that's in your life. And you need to be afraid of, of the devil because he can leverage your sin to, to make sure that you go to hell forever. And, and actually, it's funny, as a, as a boy, I would always turn to the scariest parts because that's the parts I thought were the coolest, right? Uh, and so it kind of had the opposite effect. Like I would turn straight to the pit of fire and I'd be like, oh man, look at the people getting thrown in the pit. Oh my gosh, this is so scary. And a lot of us, like that is the gospel that we carry. It's the chick track gospel. Okay, and we're going to break that down, so don't worry. The approach of much of the church is based on leveraging fear in order for people to make the decision for salvation. And I stress decision because by the time you've scared them enough, it doesn't really feel like a decision. It feels like turn or burn. And, and well, I guess if that's the decision, I choose to turn. I, I certainly don't want to burn. Right? Are you, are you okay? Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, a lot of our church gatherings have become fear-based because that's what we've got to work with. Afraid of something so you can make a decision that's informed. To create an effective environment for fear, we have to connect people's sinful behavior with a future of eternal conscious torment. In hell. This system also focuses on us versus them. And it's not even about the bad versus the good. It's about the saved versus the unsaved. See, even if you're a good person, it doesn't matter. It's the saved versus the unsaved. Right? And, and we did all we could. We preached as many times. We warned you as much as we could. But you would not turn from your wickedness. So now, in the same way that God tells you to depart from him... We also, by extension, will tell you to depart from us. You have no business being a part of our lives and our world. I know I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but may you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you believed that before? Taught it? I have. I mean, so thank God we're in a journey. So, so now let's look at it. Let, let's, let's open up this western gospel this this is the high points this isn't exhaustive but these are the high points here we go because of sin because that's where you have to start and interesting we start our good news with sin that's how we start so because of something bad we offer you this good news so here we go because of sin sin did something what did it do it separates us from god this is the gospel that much of, of the church preaches. Because of sin, you're separated from God. But through the cross, thank God for Jesus, through the cross, he deals with sin and he saves us. 
from going somewhere, from, from a place called hell, and then he changes our destination so now we can get to heaven. Those, that's the high points. Your sin has separated you from God. The good news is Jesus came on the cross and that work allowed you to change what was your obvious destination that would be eternity in hell. Now you get to live with him forever in heaven. Did I miss any high points? I think that's, that's it. The Western focused gospel is an alien concept to what is communicated in scripture and certainly wouldn't make sense to the ancient Near Eastern culture in the period of when scripture, especially the Greek and Aramaic writings, were written. Never mind the Hebrew understanding. Let's take a more in-depth look at each of the main points of discussion. Are you ready? Like I said, I might get bogged down in this and we, might, we may have to break this up into two sessions. That's okay. If I just stick to my notes, we can do it in one. That's just me confessing. If I, get, if I chase a rabbit trail, it won't happen. Okay, so here we go. So because of sin, because of sin, sin is certainly a reality. So I, I want to make sure that you don't, go, you don't leave from here or, or leave this stream and say, you won't believe what Apostle Hester said. He said, don't even worry about sin. No, that's not what I said. I said sin is a reality. And it's not something to ignore. So can we go on the record? It's real. Don't ignore it. But the Western gospel of salvation places a great deal of focus on what it calls sinful behavior. Again, I, I stress with my quotes. So this is what happens. Sin is identified as behavior and is not recognized as the fruit of improper identity. Because the focus is on behavior, we have produced countless Christians who become the arbiters for what constitutes sinful behavior. What do I mean by that? Everyone has their own standard. And depending on how holy you are, your standard is bigger and, and, and by extension better than everyone else's. All right? And, and so here's some examples. So if one person says, hey, you drink a beer, you're in sin. You, you have a cigar, you're in sin. Then li listen what can happen just from that. Because of that, they can question your salvation based on those behaviors. That's, that's huge. And that's just an example, right? So, so again, what happens? The standard is built, and this is what we say. Christians don't do those things. So if you do those things, and I say they're wrong, because I, I should know, I know because I'm a holy person, I know, well, then you need to get right with God. You're, you've got a one-way bullet train ticket to hell. Right? It doesn't stop there because depending on your denominational flavor, this train of thought can become much more detailed because there's probably a lot streaming and sitting right here that would agree, yeah, you drink a beer, you're probably halfway to hell already. The devil's your uncle. Y'all share, y'all probably share a cooler together full of beer. Right? Are y'all okay? I'm not trying to make fun, but y'all know what I'm saying. So, but it gets much deeper than that. Right? Depending on your denominational flavor, 
Sin can look like wearing flashy jewelry. Your earrings are too too bright. It can it can look like wearing makeup. It can look like uh, your skirt is four inches above your knee, and it's only actually you shouldn't even be showing any knee. You know, um, that skirt should be right above your ankle. We don't want to see anything above your ankle. You know, and I'm not saying I want to see anything above your ankle. What I'm saying is. We become arbiters of other people's behavior. And we leverage that to create what we call a system of holiness. And it's all just a made-up facade. That's what it is. Sinful activity can look like interracial dating. God doesn't allow the... Being in the South, y'all know what I'm talking about. God doesn't allow interracial stuff. Y'all sinners. Based on what? Based on your standard of what you think is sinful behavior. It, it can boil down to the kind of music you listen to. And I'm not even talking about secular and Christian music. I'm talking about we can break it down based on what kind of Christian music. I've heard it all. You've probably, some of you probably heard more than I have. The, the one that always stands out to me was you can listen to music that has intense drum beats. I'm not kidding. And, and they would say there are certain drum beats that can cause demonic activity to manifest. And, and actually, the, the fra- this is how it was used. I'm not making it up. I have to preface that because you think I'm making it up. They said that the beats in the spirit cause the ground to open. And these spirits to come out of the ground. That I guess they're jamming. They're jamming with that beat. And so you need to turn off that rap music or anything that's got tribal beats because the devil's flying. Are you Okay. So do y'all see what the problem is here? Because of sin. We focus on sin. The problem is, as long before that, the problem is we don't even know what sin is. Because making sin behavior cheapens what Jesus did to take care of sin. All right? So let's look at this. Hamartiology, that's a, a theological nickel word. It means the doctrine of sin. That's what it is, the study of the doctrine of sin. is taken from hamartia, which means to miss the mark. One of the Greek words for mark is karagma, transliterated to the English character. Sin is to miss in the, in the world of your character, to miss the mark. Hence, to sin is to fall short of the character of Christ. Sin is a mistaken identity. Now, a lot of the behaviors are the fruit of that identity mistake. Mistaken identity is, uh, you guys see what I'm saying? Do we know who we are in Christ as the seed of Abraham and the seed of David? Matthew 1, 1, 1 John 4, 17. Furthermore, the Bible declares that Christ is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. And in view of that, the spirit of Antichrist is any other image. Antichrist is not a person. It is not. Antichrist is, is a spirit. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying there's a spirit hovering over here called Antichrist. 
Just like when you're told God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, he's not talking about an actual spirit of fear. He's talking about within you, he has not given you an identity that's marked by fear. Hence, you do not flow in the spirit of fear. We'll take one word and turn it into a devil. Our favorite devils were really bad people in the Old Testament. Isn't that funny how that evolves? Like the person Jezebel evolves into the spirit of Jezebel. Well, why? Because she was really nasty then, so that's a nasty spirit. You don't mess with the spirit of Jezebel. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to backpedal here. I feel it. Come on, Matt. Keep the reins pulled in. So much of our demonology and our spiritual warfare stuff, it is so non-biblical, extra-biblical nonsense. And there are a lot of ministries that have made a lot of money and built tremendous legacies on stuff that I can't find in the Bible. Right? Because you know what happens with the spirit of Jezebel. It's accompanied by a spirit of Ahab because the spirit of Jezebel needs to someone that will submit to it without question. And I'm like, where'd y'all get this stuff from? Because if you take scripture to its eventuality, we'd have to agree that Jezebel and Ahab made their way to the same place that Abraham did and David made their place into is a place called Sheol. Are y'all Okay. And Jesus preached the gospel to them too. I mean, if you, if you just, and again, so that's mystery. So I'm not saying I've got my finger firmly pressed down on it, but we know that Jesus descended into Sheol, the grave, Hades. He preached the gospel concerning himself and we're told that he led captivity captive. What you gonna do when Jezebel's in heaven? You gonna wake up one day and Jezebel, oh, you're here? Okay, anyway, I know I'm messing now. Let's just move on. I, I love this. Kelly Varner, when he would talk about the spirit of Antichrist, he said, if you really want to get technical, now, when he, what, one of the things I loved about Varner, and I pray that I had the same grace, when he would smell religion in the atmosphere, he was like a hound dog. He would go after that thing without mercy. And he said, technically, if you want to break down the word Antichrist, Antichrist does not mean against Christ. It means instead of, instead of. And you may say, well, what does that matter? Well, you can't be instead of something unless you were first for it. So he said, so technically the only place Antichrist can be revealed is within a church that knows Christ, but chooses something else instead. The world and those in darkness, they're not Antichrist. They don't know how to be. And then he'd say, turn to your neighbor. That might be the beast. <laughs> okay. Can we continue? I feel like I'm going to get some private messages on this. Okay. So again, in view of that, the spirit of Antichrist is any other image. You can man manifest Antichrist by manifesting character that is not the character of Christ. Boom, there you are. You are the Antichrist. <laughs> it's a spirit. It's not a person. Okay? Said another way, there have only been two kinds of men on the planet, Christ and Adam. The new man and the old man, beauty and the beast. Paul's apostolic anticipation was for Christ to be fully formed in a people. Galatians 4.19. Christ in you. That's a plural pronoun. 
It reveals a corporate man with a corporate anointing, a vast company of sons, male and female. Colossians 1.27, Romans 8.19. Actually, another way that you can break down that, that phrase, Christ in you, is Christ in you all. While certainly it has individual significance, it is more greatly understood within the context of the corporate. The Christ, the anointed one, the corporate son, you are part of the corporate son. Is that all right? Is that good? Let's see how much further we, we're not going to be able to finish this because I've got two and a half more pages of notes here. Okay. How far can we get? So because of sin, what does sin do? Remember, separates us from God. This is the Western gospel, separates us from God. Within this framework, sin not only makes our present life and future difficult, but it also separates us from God. After all, God cannot be in the presence of sin, or so we've been taught. It's problematic because it's not true. Adam and Eve, I mean, if there are two people that God, so, so here, if God and sin can't coexist, these would be the two people God would have an issue with, would be these two, right? Am I wrong in that? Don't pick on me, God. Go to Adam and Eve. After all, they're the ones that brought this into the world. So they're the ones, right? See, I'm playing the game Adam plays. Blame, blame them, right? It's easy to play that game. It really is. If there's anyone that God would run from, it would have been those two. I can't be in the presence of those two heathen. So Adam and Eve, God looked for them in the midst of sin. God looked for them in the, mis in the midst of mistaken identity. Romans 3, verse 8. We'll look at it. We're not making this up. Genesis said Romans, Genesis 3, starting at verse 8, verse 8 and 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? In theological studies, there's something called the principle of first mention. When something is first mentioned, pay attention because it establishes a pattern. Right here in Genesis 3, we see the first time when it comes to, in regards to sin, we see the first mention. And what is God's response to sin coming into the world? It is not to separate himself from the offenders. It's to go after them. To search them out. Not to run from them. And he asks, where are you? This is not cosmic hide and seek. God knew where they were. But it's more like, have you ever talked to someone? And, and you know they're not even listening to what you're saying. Their, their gaze is in the distance. Their mind is somewhere else. And we even can say, hey, where are you right now? I mean, you're here, but where are you? If God, if God can't be in the presence of sin, he should have started in the garden. Because that's where that was sin ground zero. And he ran to it. 
Another topic, but it's a beautiful rabbit trail. Also the principle of first mention, the first sacrifice made. It was not God demanding sacrifice from Adam and Eve. It was God providing sacrifice to cover their mistake. He took the skins of animals and covered them, covered their perceived nakedness. And the heart of God has never changed. Some of, us that, some of us, that'll be one of the biggest revelations we walk out in our lives is that God doesn't want anything from us. He just wants to give. Right? Right? And then let's talk about Paul. Paul was convinced that nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing will cause him to run. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. Have you guys heard these verses? For I am sure, I love that he starts that way. He's like, I'm not guessing. I'm not, this isn't a shot in the dark. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, again, let's help our theological sensibilities. Well, that says it won't separate him from his love. He's going to love you no matter what. Right. Don't forget, God and love are the same thing. First right. John 4 says that. God is love. So for God to be able to love you and nothing separate you from that love, God and love cannot be separated. Right. So since nothing can separate you from his love, nothing can separate you from him. David took it as far as any of us know how to take it. If I make my bed in Sheol, that was his grasp of hell. If I make my bed in hell, you're there with me. Where else can you go? Where else can you go? I, I say it this way, God is attracted to those who have no revelation of him. He's attracted to them. And that pans out in the life and ministry of Jesus. Who are the people that Jesus preferred not to be around? Were those that they were convinced that they knew who he was all about? Well, yeah, we know, we know all about God and you're not God because you eat with sinners, you hang out with prostitutes. We're looking for the real Messiah. He didn't have time for them. He said, get me to the people that don't have a revelation. Get me to the people that know that they're not good enough. Get me to the losers and the outcasts. Oh, they'll receive me. You guys all right? Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you know that was your right time? It is. Your right time is when you're weak, lost in darkness, God's like, boom, now's the moment. Now's the time. And how does he reveal himself except he is there? He doesn't reveal from a distance. He's not going to phone a friend. He's not going to dial it in. No, he's there in the moment. And you have this revelation. He's been here all along. The question is, where have I been? Not where has he been. Where have I been? Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. Wow. I think we can cover one more piece. Is this okay? So we've covered two pieces. Because of sin separated us from God. So we found out sin is not what we think it is. If we narrow it down to behavior, we miss the point. It's about not knowing who you are. And people that don't know who, who they are, they act in ways they're not supposed to act. But here's a newsflash. You don't get to identify the behavior. You get to go after the identity. Holy Spirit knows how to take care of behavior. And none of us are Holy Spirit. Are you all okay? There's only one sheriff of the kingdom. That's what I love to say. His name's Holy Spirit. And he did not give me a badge that says I get to be him. A lot of pastors believe that they are Holy Spirit. And they preach as if they're Holy Spirit. And they'll call out the young people on the back row. You know what you're doing, sinners. Are you all okay? I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm making a point here. What if we just spend our time just letting them know, hey, you're, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're a beloved sons and daughters. God has ordained you to reflect his nature. Become so captivated with who he is instead of their shortcomings. Because what we focus on and give our life to manifests. I'm telling you, it does. If tomorrow I wanted Dominion Church to grow in that vein, I know exactly what to preach. I'll preach the law, I'll preach sin, I'll preach condemnation. And it will draw people. It will. But that's not me. And I'm convinced that's not Jesus either. Okay? It's probably one of those things that is categorized as having a form of godliness. But there's no power in it. It's, it's basically how Paul referenced the law. The law is a guardian for children. It's a guardian for the immature. But when you mature, you realize that guardian, it was, it was good for a moment, but it's not, gonna, it's not gonna bring me life. There's no power in it. It has the power to reveal sin, not the power to, to help me live the life of Jesus. The next point and the final point we we'll have to cover for this is through the cross. Say through the cross. Honestly, we could do a whole message on through the cross. So I want you to understand I am limiting myself right now. And we'll touch on this more because we've got time to touch on it. Through the cross, the supreme and mystical work of the cross dealt with much more than sin. It did. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever heard this, that the work of the cross made it possible for what? For God to forgive us of our sin. I understand the thought, but it's not true. Don't run. Hold on. It's not true. How do I know? Because Jesus was forgiving sin before he went to the cross. Oh, well, you don't understand. He was, he was like prophesying that there would be a time. Well, you, you're gonna, you read that into that. Because he's forgiving people their sin before he goes to the cross. Actually, he was for, him forgiving people sin is what got him to the cross. When the religious started hearing that stuff, they thought, we got to crucify this guy. He thinks he's God. 
They just didn't know that what he thought was right. And you guys have heard me teach on this. Everything that Jesus does, he invites us to the party. He doesn't leave anything out. Right? Heal the sick. Come on, guys, do it. Lay your hands on the sick. Watch them recover. Right? Um, someone's demon-possessed. I'll cast out demons. You do the same. Cast them out. You encounter someone who's hungry. I'll feed them. You feed them. Come on, do it. One thing he left out was forgiveness of sin until the other side of the cross. And, and again, I don't pretend to have my finger firmly planted on it, but I believe that once there was a revelation of reconciliation that, flew, that went into all humanity, then humanity was invited to the power to forgive sin because humanity was set free from the power of sin. So on the other side of the cross, Jesus meets with his disciples and he says, okay, guys, here, here, this is a big deal. Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. He doesn't leave anything off the table. So while the cross certainly, hear what I'm saying, it deals with sin, it does much more than that. The proof is Jesus was forgiving sin before the work of the cross. The cross, what does it do? Well, it, it brings reconciliation. Again, do entire sessions. You could do series on this stuff. We're just touching the surface of some of these. I mean, of things happening on the cross, you look at the covenants. You look at the old covenant, Exodus 19, the Mosaic covenant. It's breathing its death breath at that point. I personally believe the cross was like the, the, the nail driven through the heart of the old covenant because it took, from that point, it took about 40 years for it to just die. Around, around AD 70, it, it finally was stone cold dead. So it took about 40 years for it to die. But then there's this overlap period because also on the cross, the better covenant is born. Now we see Jesus demonstrating it in his life and ministry. That is the testimony of the life of Jesus is better covenant realities being lived out. But then he inaugurates it at the cross. Here it is. Now it's ready, right? And there's this 40 year overlap. I also personally believe that on the cross, the church was born. There is no language concerning church or ecclesia before the work of the cross. None, which I think is pretty major. Why is there no talk of the churches in, 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 you know, in, the, in the wilderness? Why? None of that was observed. The only language was nations, nations. But then all of a sudden, it radically shifts. Well, now it's two or more are gathered. We don't need a whole nation of people, you know, pursuing the will of God. I mean, we should, but no, just two of you get together, and I'm right there in the midst. Local church, ecclesia, the called out ones. This is brand new verbiage. Born from the heart of Jesus. Remember when the centurion pierced his side and we're told that blood and water began to flow. To me, that is a picture of, of birth. Men don't, don't birth from a, a womb like women do. When women give birth, blood and water are manifest. So for Jesus, the heart was the place of his birthing. And when it was pierced, blood and water began to flow. And I believe spiritually, mystically, he gave birth to the church. What else was established on the cross? Living a victorious life. Well, it doesn't look victorious. He died. Well, that's, that's how Jesus that's how Jesus confounds the wise. He can take something as ugly as the cross and turn it into something beautiful. 
Anybody in here got a cross necklace at home? Maybe you're wearing one right now. Why are you wearing that? That's, that's a symbol of torment and anguish. Because that's not how we look at it. We look at it as something beautiful. Because the victory of Jesus is not like the victory we all wish. You guys know the victory we want. We want Jesus to basically almost be like Thor and come down with his mighty axe or hammer and lightning strikes and boom, his enemies are turned to dust. The victory of the cross looks like losing at face value. The victory of the cross looks like someone who was not guilty was blamed for everything. So he wins. Hear this, guys. This is, this is huge. He wins by losing. He releases life into all creation afresh by giving his life, by laying it down voluntarily. He takes care of the sin problem by bringing sin to himself. And then there's, there's others, but this is the, the other one that I have in my notes. He also, through the work of the cross, and we know even the events leading up to the cross, he secured divine health. So Jesus just doesn't want us to live. He wants us to live well. He does. Now, a big part of that, before we're like, oh, well, why am I not living well? Part of that is he gives us the brain to make good decisions that impact our health. So, now I don't, don't get upset. He, he gives us people like Richard Simmons to help us sweat away the, the, the calories to the oldies. That's, that's so old school now. There's people watching this don't even know who I'm talking about. And it's all right. You're not missing anything. <laughs> but he, we, we're able to study diet and nutrition. And that's not a lack of faith, guys. That's using the wisdom that we have at our disposal. Some of us are binding and loosing the devil. We need to be binding Burger King. Are y'all okay? Okay, no amens. It's fine. The point is he's provided the divine health. He's not going to cram it down your throat. He's provided a victorious life, but he can't make you live a victorious life. No, here it is. This is it, guys. It's all prepared. Okay, well, well so what are you saying, Jesus? He said, Bas you live like me, you live a victorious life. Live like you how? Well, you got to walk in mercy. You got to walk in forgiveness. You got to walk in grace. You know, intimacy with the Father is a big help. He lays out the pathway. We oftentimes only think of victorious life in terms of not dying. What about think of victorious life in terms of living? What does your life look like? That's victorious living. You know, one of the things I've said for years, and, and the Lord reminded of it, me of it yesterday, I said this, that there was, there was a friend of, of Dominion, uh, he and his wife came here from Africa, and, uh, and he passed shortly after uh, they got here, uh, just had a lot of physical problems, and, and this, was, this was around the time where we had several losses, several close friends of mine, uh, pastor and cashers. Uh, just a ministry associates. I was like, God, what is going on? Young, young fathers, you know, uh, wonderful ministers with tremendous legacy. And this is this is what this is what I heard coming out of my mouth. I heard, 
I want to be so focused on life that I'm surprised by death. Instead of being so focused on death that I haven't lived a day in my life. And yesterday the Holy Spirit reminded me of that. And he's like, do you mean it? So, what's a victorious life look like? We're, we're not even, fo why focus on death? I mean, said and done, what's the worst thing that death can do? Is get you to a revelation of who he is faster. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? You want to talk about some dangerous Christians? You talk about people, they, they, don't, they don't even care about death. When I say care, I don't mean they don't, they're not, have compassion. You know what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know what? If I die, I die. The, the greatest heartache of my death will be the impact that it brings to those who are closest to me. But in terms of me, don't write any lament. Don't, don't cry tears wrongfully. I mean, you can tear up all you want, but don't cry because you think that somehow I'm, I'm now, you know, in some place of dark, darkness or despair. No. Mm -mm. I'll probably get in schooled finally. It's like, oh, Ma Ma Matthew, you, have, you got a couple things right, but now, dude, we got to work on this. And so pray, pray for longevity. That's what you should be praying for. Lord, just give them a good one. The cross is the entrance to the kingdom, not the sum total. The entrance to the kingdom. I love the way that Miles Monroe would paint this picture. He said the cross is like the entrance to a store. So when you go to your favorite store, we're going to call the store the kingdom. But, but let's talk about your I, Megan and I went to the Apple store yesterday. She needed to get a new Apple watch. And I'm proud of you, babe. It was her first official Apple watch purchase because she'd be getting hand-me-downs. Uh, so... It's one of our favorite stores. But you know what? I didn't stop at the doorway and I'm like, man, love this Apple store. It's awesome. And people look at me like, I lost my mind. go in the store. Explore. There's lots of cool stuff in here. And if we're not careful, that's how we treat the cross. We get there and we're not sure there's anything beyond it. There is. There is. So, Again, stop looking at the cross right now. Right now, it's just two beams of wood. And think about the work of the cross as Jesus himself. He is the entrance into the life of the kingdom. So don't plant a tent at the cross. Put on your hiking boots and get ready to explore. What's, what is there? What, what did this invitational bring me to? The cross is the entrance, not the sum total of life in the kingdom of God. And again, focusing on the work, right? We talk about how it deals with sin. If you, man, if we want to go through the tabernacle, the ABCs, the one, two, threes, you have the altar of sacrifice. That's a picture of, of, of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. You have the laver, <coughs> which, content, which is the, the washing of water. And it's reflective in nature, so it deals with identity issues. Listen, sin should be dealt with in the outer court. It's supposed to be put to death. 
a revelation once and for all. Sin is not who I am. And part of what fuels that, and I've got to be done, part of what fuels that is this misunderstanding of duality. We think that Adam and Jesus still live inside of us. Adam, doesn't, Adam isn't alive in you. Now that the new has come, the old is gone. There's not enough real estate in you to hold the old man and the new man. Only Christ remains. And I get it. The, the question is, well, but I do things from time to time that aren't Christ-like. Well, that just means you've got to be reminded of who's living on the inside. I'm done here. I've, I've got to leave it here. And then I guess, man, this next Sunday is going to be a doozy. Saved from hell. <laughs> New destination heaven. That's, that ought to be a fun one. Tune in for that uh, next week. But I do this, this message on uh, the conviction of righteousness. And I talk about righteous identity. And, and I talk about the barking eagle. You guys remember that? Anybody remember that? The word of God, when it talks about, I believe really in terms of salvation, salvation essentially means what? To be in the right place at the right time. And that's not talking about Jesus. That's talking about you. Jesus is always in the right place at the right time. Salvation is you being in the right place at the right time. In other words, a revelation, an unveiling that Jesus has always been there. And in the right time, God reveals himself. When's the right time? While well, you were lost in darkness and sin. We've gone through this. That was salvation. Salvation was not your ability to call on him. Salvation was him revealing himself to you at the right time. Okay? And in that moment, the old is gone. The new has come. So the picture that I paint, and then we're done. The picture that I paint is, before you met Jesus, you were a dirty dog. You guys remember this. And the Western gospel says, salvation gives the dog a bath. So now you're clean. You're still a dog, but you're clean. And when you bark, what happens? All of us who are arbiters of behavior, I knew, I knew it wasn't authentic. I knew you didn't really have an encounter with Jesus. You're still a dog. Because we don't understand salvation is not a bath. Salvation is new creation. In other words, what existed before no longer exists. And something brand new has come on the scene. So I say you were a dirty dog, now you're an eagle. They are not, they're not in the same world. Eagles are flying, soaring high into the heavens, taking advantage of the wind stream to go up, up into the sun. They see everything with this amazing perspective and the dog's just trudging along the roadway, eating puke when it finds it. I'm quoting scripture there. You guys remember that? Don't be like a dog that returns to its vomit. Y'all okay. So, so now we're eagles. But every now and then an eagle lets out a bark. And what, we're like, whoa, that was, that was weird. Because eagles, eagles don't bark. That doesn't even feel right. So what do we do with a religious mentality? When we hear the bark, we think it's a sign. Oh, you're still a dog. When in the kingdom of God, it's a sign. Hey, get that eagle around other eagles. 
so they can remember who they are. Don't, you don't send an eagle to the dog pound. Because what happens? It's defeated there. It doesn't belong. It's, it, it's in a cage. It's identifying with something it's not supposed to be. No, you get it back with the eagles. Continue to soar. Hey, remember who you are. That's one of the many huge differences between behavior and identity. We're going to have to finish there. I hope this is okay. This is going to be the springboard from where we're going to continue throughout these next many weeks together. But this next Sunday, get the word out. It's going to be fun. We're going to be talking about heaven and hell because we we were headed in one destination. We're changing course to another destination. And man, isn't that great for back to church Sunday? Well, it's all right. It, It is what it is. So I just want to pray. I want to bless you guys. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you as we just, we're really just getting our toes into this series on the Gospels, the message and the manifestation of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom. Lord, I just thank you that you help us to deal with some of these things that we've taken for granted. Perhaps in listening to this, watching this, you're, you're just convicted in your heart. Oh man, this is, I've bought into this. This has been a, a large part of my life in ministry. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your patience with us. That you, you love us where we are. That's a principle that so changed my life. Don't forget, God blesses you where you are. He'll bless you in the middle of your error. He'll bless you in the middle of things that today you're embarrassed by. But, my man, he was blessing me. So, Lord, I just thank you for your graciousness. Wow, you're, you're a good father and you are so patient with your kids. Thank you for that. Help us, Lord, as we continue to build culture. That's what this is. This is an exercise in building the culture of the kingdom. For too long, we have been distracted by trying to dismantle culture. I would humbly suggest just build. Because when you build the culture of the kingdom, all lesser culture will begin to fade into irrelevancy. And we're going to look at this. We're going to open this up. We're going to look at the life and ministry of Jesus. We're going to look at the good news that invites us to rock the world. Lord, I just thank you for all these things now. I decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being a part of this Facebook, YouTube podcast experience. We love you. Stay tuned. Because there's, there's a lot of sessions to this series, but they're going to be good. So you don't want to miss one of them. All right, so like it, share it, get the word out. Please come visit us if you're able. We're here Sundays at 430 in Greer, right off Wade Hampton Boulevard. We'd love for you to come and be a part of one of our corporate gatherings. We will bless you. I promise you that. All right, God bless you. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next Sunday.